Hello, and welcome to the Mac Gamecast episode 24. I'm John Carr, as always, here with Sam, triumphantly returning to the show in 2022. <laughs> and of course, Mr. Ted. How you doing, gents? I'm doing well, thank you. It's good to be back. Yeah, I'm doing good. well. Awesome. Thanks for being here. Uh, today, we are going to continue talking about sort of a continuation of the topic from last podcast, which was Microsoft buying um, Activision Blizzard. There's been more of that going on. Um, but the general idea, Sam and Ted had some particular thoughts on basically studio acquisitions, maybe its impact on the industry. Is that good or not for gamers? This kind of stuff, that's going to be our main topic. And depending on the time, we may get into some other interesting stuff or that may uh, be saved for future episodes. We'll get there. Um, so yeah, Sam, you wanted, I think you had sort of uh, some starter thoughts here. Let, I'll let you take the floor. Yeah, so I just, I, interesting topic I thought we'd discuss is the, obviously all the acquisitions have been going on. Everybody's I'm sure heard of them. It's a $68 billion um, Activision Blizzard King deal, what that Microsoft did. And then more recently, Bungie bought, or sorry, Sony bought Bungie. Um, and last year, Microsoft bought Bethesda and all their um, like machine games and Arcane and all the, all the studios go along with them. Um, so the industry's obviously changing quite a bit. Um, I can remember, well, it seems like almost every, I kind of measure gaming and like console generations as in terms of the chapters of gaming. Right. Um, in almost every previous generation, essentially every game was available everywhere and you'd have the handful, like, like 10 or less exclusives for each platform. Sony obviously has a couple, like God of War and mm. Last of Us and stuff. And then Microsoft hasn't been into all recently, but previously to that, they had Halo and Gears of War and, and stuff like that. So 99.9% of games, you could play literally anywhere you wanted. Um, of the major platforms, we wish more would come to Mac. But uh, yeah. And then, but I think with these acquisitions, we're seeing the gaming industry do what the music industry did first with its switch to streaming. Um, and the TV followed with Netflix and, and um, Hulu and Amazon prime video and all that. And now we're kind of seeing the gaming industry, not switch fully, but dip its toes a little bit. We, we see it with um, game pass. That's mm. obviously been hugely well, I think it's been hugely successful. They're a little bit cagey about profitability, but I think it's kind of a lost leader that will eventually be hugely profitable for Microsoft. Sony has, um, I forgot the code name, but their competitor to Game Pass coming out like mm. very soon within, I think, this quarter maybe, or maybe next quarter at the latest. It's always so, yeah, we're seeing, something or the other. Yeah. yeah, I think it's called, oh, I forget, it has some weird code name. That's not <laughs> going to be the real name. But um, yeah, so we're seeing basically the, the borders be drawn um, in the gaming space and and people sort of set up and, and essentially a land grab of all the studios. Um, mm. So, so yeah, um, that's kind of setting the stage, I guess, what you guys have probably covered in previous episodes, but I have some thoughts, but I just, do you guys have anything you'd like to share on that before deeper thoughts, sort of the, the changing industry as it will? This is like a throwaway comment, but when you said um, 
Oh, Bungie bought. No, I mean, I was going to say it'd be really funny if Bungie, like, we're buying Sony. You know, I, that would just be <laughs> hilarious. Uh, <laughs> I would love that, actually. Um, you know, I have a soft spot for Bungie, um, you know, as a, as a youth and all their, all their Mac games and stuff. But, um, you know, I don't, I don't, I didn't forgive them, you know, 20 odd years ago for quote unquote selling out. Um, but, you know, um, I don't want to make this all about Bungie, but as a quick aside, I, in the last year or two, I actually did some digging and found some like random YouTube videos. It turns out Bungie was in like um, dire straits financially. Actually, Oni was a total mess. They had to bring on like a t- bunch of new project directors and rework the game and just kind of push it out the door. And they were like, they act like their future was in jeopardy. Actually, if they didn't sell to, well, some they nation. had they had the catastrophic. I think it was Myth. Um, you guys remember better than me. I I was too young to really play that game, but that was the game that had the uninstall bug where it wiped your piece or your Mac. Yeah, if you, uninstalled you the told game. Right. And that like destroyed their reputation and it cost them so much money. Um, and that right. was actually really just close to when they got bought by Microsoft the first time right. way back. And they had to recall a bunch of copies. And I think yeah. it I think it was a PC bug, not a Mac bug. Um, at least it, Perhaps, it worked yeah. fine on my Mac because I bought all the Myth games and played them all from disc and everything, and it was fine. Um, they just went PC then, but yeah, they ha- they yeah. were really in the dumpster of reputation, and I think their coffers were completely empty, paying for this massive recall. Right, exactly. So this is like yeah. pre, I guess the internet existed, but pre days right. of patching willy nilly with some exactly you can't just oh here's a day one patch to fix the problems um so right yeah let's talk about bungie a bit we talked a lot about microsoft um buying activision blizzard though i'd still like to hear your thoughts on that sam but we'll swing back to it um because since we had the podcast i think a couple days later the news came out sony bought bungie as you already mentioned um but apparently um they aren't going to make bungie stuff exclusive so, you know, it kind of begs the question, like, well, why did they buy them? Um, if not to have, like, PlayStation first games kind of a thing. So, what are, like, kind of what's your take on that? Um, I, I, well, I fully believe them that Destiny won't be become exclusive. Destiny is just obviously the nature of the game. It's, like, essentially an MMO light. It needs to be on as many places as possible if you it was only playstation or even if it was only playstation pc it would still be fine but that game thrives off player accounts um right and um i don't think they have anything to gain by restricting platforms but that being said bungie is expanding like crazy they've opened up a few new studios they've i think they're wanting to get into like tv and movies and stuff um, right which sony obviously has their whole movie and tv side of things right but right. i I would be shocked if whatever Bungie does next is I I would bet a lot of money that it won't be on Xbox and I would be surprised if it's day one on PC. I think it'll come to PC, right? but I don't know if it would be day one PC. Um, I don't think somebody spends 3.6 billion to keep status quo. I think. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. Um, What about you, Ted? Any, any thoughts on the Bungie deal? That, you know, again, it goes back to my, my biggest concern about it is that, you know, if there's going to be only ultimately three different studios, three different owners, they're going to control what happens. And we're going to get into the same kind of silly situation we get in with streaming of, of video where, well, you, you know, either you choose to pay a fee for every one of them 
or you choose one and don't get something else. You know, I chose this particular one, so I don't get to watch that particular show, you know, type of thing. And unless I want to pay for it. And uh, but then again, <laughs> looking at it from a, a Mac, a Mac gamers viewpoint, I'm used to waiting a while for games to come around. So <laughs> if I have to, you know, play it when it's a year or two old, maybe, well, I guess it's maybe not a big deal. But I just don't see it as being a, a good thing for the consumers, you know, and I see it being more of a, a good thing for the businesses if they can rope everybody in to in the mindset of, you know, feed me, feed me, and we'll keep giving you stuff, which is, you know, the way the subscription thing works. Mm. And, uh, you know, having been around for quite a while, it's kind of something I don't like, kind of don't like, but it's just my own personal attitude on that. Right. No, that makes sense. Uh, you mentioned three for the uh, benefit of listeners. The third person he's referring to is EA. So basically almost... Everyone is now owned by, by either Electronic Arts, Microsoft, or Sony, more or less. Right. There's still right. there's still like notable, <clears throat> quote unquote, indie bigger groups out there, like Larian Studios, or I think yeah. I think Starbreeze was maybe bought by one of those three recently. There were kind of like some bigger, like pretty notable. I mean, it's hard to call them indie because they aren't making tiny games. They're making huge games that are more like double A games rather than triple A. Um, we have um, U- Ubisoft is still. They're obviously not quite right. the same. Level. Oh, Ubisoft, right? Yeah. Okay. okay. They're, oh, they're, they're, they're like the big four. four. Yeah. Yeah. And then in Japan, we have Square, SquareSoft. I think Square Enix. Like Square Enix. Square Enix. Uh, Square Enix. That's true. That's true. Yeah. We do have them. So. They did they? So they they do a lot of PC ports, but I don't know who's. I guess they're publishing them too. Um, they're cozy with Sony. Currently. That's what I was going to say. I think they're cozy with Sony, so I kind of but lumped them together. I guess. That's yeah, owned by Sony yet. Right. We'll <laughs> yeah. Yet. Right. One but thing I... I think is interesting too is it seems like Sony has kind of awoken the uh <laughs> the like dragon or the because like Microsoft is obviously on a whole other level compared to Sony. This would obviously never fly from like a regulatory perspective, but like Microsoft could easily buy Sony. Um right. I think Sony's market value is like a hundred and like sixty billion, which is obviously a large number, but like Microsoft just spent 70 on Activision. So that's like, right. and that was an all cash. That wasn't like a stock deal or anything. That was, um, I don't want Microsoft to buy Sony or anything like that. I, I don't think it would happen from a legality perspective, but right. Sony in the PS4 gen, they obviously just like destroyed Microsoft, like well over two to one sales. They had a ton of these little exclusive deals where they would pay for, um, like well, Call of Duty, for example, it wasn't necessarily an exclusive games, but they were paying a ton of third parties for PlayStation First stuff. And mm. I'm not sure if you guys watched. I think it was a four part series that Xbox did on YouTube. It was really well done. Um, basically going through the history of Xbox from well pre just Xbox the Xbox as a concept being brought together up until mm-hmm. the launch of the Series X. But it's it's really cool how Xbox went from well basically. They weren't sure if they were going to continue with the brand and they were maybe going to pack up ship after Xbox One launched to such a horrible launch. And then here we have it now where they're spending hundreds of, of well, close to $100 billion on acquisitions. And they've, like Sony's share price has plummeted. Microsoft's, well, I don't think Microsoft's actually way up, but <laughs> it's such a bigger brand. But um, 
basically they're doing what Sony Sony can't even do that. Like Sony doesn't have the money to compete with the sheer dollars. So right. Sony's competing with uh, their own studios, which I think is a little bit smarter. Microsoft's kind of taking the uh, uh, the lazy, easier but much more expensive approach of let's just buy mm. everything. Right. And this seems to be Microsoft's history a little bit. Um, in that same docu series I was talking about, when they wanted to get into the console space, Microsoft initially approached Nintendo and wanted to buy Nintendo. That was going to be their their gateway into the console space if if the deal walked went through so they went out to japan and they they tried to talk to the nintendo execs and they basically got laughed out of the room but uh <laughs> but they but that that was like the initial plan let's buy this would have been probably the n64 era right um, yeah let's just buy nintendo and that's how we're gonna compete in the console space so so yeah um what was the oh yeah the main thought i had was i think there's there's a lot of negatives for the consumer potentially down the road nothing's going to change in the next year or two but mm. three four or five years out we're going to see a lot of things changing i think but one of the hopeful maybe positives i think we'll get out of this is one thing i've noticed in the big AAA game space right now is the the desire or not desire the necessity for a game to sell extremely well um in order to be branded as a success or maybe get a sequel or whatever and one game that comes to mind is tomb raider 2013 which is a mac game really i think it was mm. a really good game um i still view it as like a somewhat recent game but it's almost 10 years old now <laughs> um that game came out and it sold millions of copies i think it sold 3.5 million copies and it was labeled a failure by square enix and it's right. so you have and then we have battlefield 2042 which ignoring the whole mess with bugs and stuff of that game it sold millions of copies it's a it's labeled a failure. You can listen to EA's most recent earnings call. Mm. They're actually sort of failure wasn't the word, but disappointing, and they wouldn't say sales numbers. And so you have they acknowledged these acknowledged it underperformed, and like yeah, so you have these games right now that come out, and they have to sell X million copies, or the publisher goes, "That's not going to fly." And because of that, publishers will play it super safe. They'll say, mm. "We could." release this new ip or maybe this new idea or let the studio do what they want to do uh, but that might not sell eight million copies that might only sell six million so instead we'll say nope you guys got to do call of duty 36 and uh <laughs> that's going to sell 13 percent more copies and and that's that so i i'm hoping maybe when the streaming or subscription model comes out that we can kind of get away from that because the subscription model sales are just kind of the cherry on top but the main goal is to just keep people subscribed and mm. if you're basically not trying to sell a copy of the game anymore you're trying to sell the person on just being subscribed for another month or another year um so maybe that will allow for a little more variety or a little more freedom but uh that's just hopeful thinking i don't know we'll see what do you guys think uh, yeah, well, it's interesting about the subscription stuff. Um, you know, you guys know I'm big on it. I've advocated, at least for GeForce Now. Though GeForce Now is a little different because it uses their existing games, so you still have to buy the games, thereby sidestepping that issue. But Microsoft's Game Pass, Xbox Pass, PC Game Pass, whatever it's called, I can't quite get it straight. There's a few different versions. Maybe I think there's actually three versions. Um, uh, the, that you subscribe to 
much like Netflix or something, and it's just the library. So then, depending on your service, yeah, I can see Microsoft or whoever it is, PlayStation or whoever else might come up with a streaming service. There's a bunch of Amazon's doing one. There's a bunch called Luna. It's terrible. I tried it. Um, but yeah, it's this idea of, again, if you take Netflix, which is the most common kind of de facto streaming platform, although there's now many, um, they have a lot of good content and then they have a lot of trash content. But the whole point is they can boast, well, we have so many titles and we have so many hours watched. And so translating that into the game space, it's like, oh, well, we have so many, you know, we have a thousand titles you can play. It's like, okay, but how many of them are actually like really good and how many are just like filler sort of. I don't want to call them trash games because that's too harsh. I don't I don't even know, but kind of like filler games, if you will. Kind of like these filler movies and TV shows. They're not terrible. They're fine. They're average. Maybe they throw in one, you know, they throw in Netflix has this, uh, what do you call it, formula. They throw in like one big name actor and then like a really small script and budget or whatever and throughout the movie and everyone watches it because it has X actor or actress in it. They can't quite do that with gaming because... You know, there's not actors and there's voice actors in gaming, and there are notable ones people like. Um, but that typically isn't going to sell like millions of copies just because Nolan North is voicing your game or something. Like, the game still has to be really interesting. Um, my main issue with the consolidation, or not issue, my concern is more accurate with the consolidation, is something I saw with Electronic Arts. Again, this may not happen with Microsoft, but <laughs> we'll see. Um, uh, Electronic Arts started forcing all the studios they bought, not to use their Frostbite engine only. They couldn't use anything else. Um, I believe any games they were working on when they were bought, they were allowed to finish, but any new projects had to use Frostbite. So like Sam said, oh, you know, I don't think anything will change in a year or two, but three to five years, we'll see a lot of changes. That's where I'm also looking, not like current development cycles, but like the next stuff people are working on, all the uh, people meaning all these uh, studios who were bought. Like what restrictions or parameters... Are they going to be given from, like, an engine standpoint, from an idea standpoint? Like Sam was saying, oh, you know, a suit might just, like, look at the numbers and be like, yeah, this isn't going to sell enough, or we don't project it'll sell enough, therefore, yeah, you can't greenlight this project. So I'm definitely concerned about that as well. And, yeah, I think it's totally wild. A game can sell millions of copies and be be, un- be labeled unsuccessful. Um, it's what happened also to, speaking of Square Enix, to um, Deus Ex uh, Mankind Divided, the second game in the reboot. Um, I really wanted a third game. I absolutely loved that series. And I thought the game was pretty good, and it sold, again, a lot of copies. It wasn't as favorably favorably received as Human Revolution, but, yeah, they just never made another game because it was like, well, it didn't, it didn't like, go to the moon, you know? Um, so, and then they went on to make, like, Marvel Avengers and a bunch of other... I mean, that game was awful. I actually tried it on sale. Um, and people are like, Deus Ex died for this, <laughs> this terrible game, because it's the same studio. <clears throat> it's also the guys who did the Tomb Raider reboot. Like, these guys are good at making games. Guys, gals, whatever, the, the, the company, Crystal Dynamics. Um, anyway, I'm kind of rambling, but the point is, uh, oh yeah, back to Frostbite and EA. The engine's really cool. It looks amazing. Um, but it's meant for shooters. It's powered, It was originally developed for Battlefield. But then they started mandating all their studios, aka Bioware and others, um, use this Frostbite engine for their RPGs and their action-adventure games and their this and that and the other, the engine wasn't made for it. And a bunch of these games... Well, I'm really speaking of Bioware Anthem. Apparently had a really troubled development because of the Frostbite engine. Same for the uh, Mass Effect Andromeda. Never mind that the game had, like, a bunch of weird story issues and whatever. Didn't live up to kind of, like, the Mass Effect hype of the previous trilogy. 
Um, the, you know, I did because I happen to like Bioware. I like Mass Effect. I did. In, in fact, I pre-bought Anthem Deluxe Edition for like eighty dollars, like a crazy person. So, uh, that kind of got burned. I still really like that game, even though it was labeled like a total failure. It does a lot of interesting things, but again, the developers were working on a two version of the game, like a total revamp, that like all stuff the players wanted, and then the suit somewhere just you know it marinated for a year or so, and then they just eh, just pulled the plug because they projected well too bad you know it kind of had a not kind of it had a bad launch uh sold a bunch of copies didn't hold player counts you know was deemed to um kind of like two games smashed into one you know and uh so i was really hyped for like the 2.0 version it's gonna be super cool and they even had you know blog posts on and what was coming down the pipe and then sorry it got canceled so you know it's okay so then then we're talking this is just player stuff so then it's okay we don't know the minds of, you know, the top level executives beyond we know they're very concerned with profit and shareholders and all that stuff. Like, that's the bottom line. So, but if everything's just about the bottom line, well, yeah, like you're saying, that could, as Sam was saying, it could stifle creativity. Like, yeah, you're making Call of Duty 36 or 40 or 50 and whatever. Um, so I am a little concerned about that creative aspect. Like, I think EA might have relented now and let their studios use, you know, like Unreal Engine 5 or whatever they want to use. Maybe I doubt there any of them are making games of the Unity um, or even custom engines or something. The weird issue was apparently EA had one support team for Frostbite engine. And that one team had to manage support for every studio under EA using it, which was all of them. So they were often not free to help, and Bioware complained about this. They would call them up, email them, create tickets, and they would wait, like, weeks to get the help they needed to resolve issues and move forward, like, to solve problems. Because they're like, sorry, we're busy helping, I don't know, what other studio, you know, and, you know, we're tied up. So, okay, that's dumb. Hire more people, but then they have to be trained, and anyway, it just didn't happen. Maybe they've resolved it by now. I don't see Microsoft being, like, EA's kind of known to be a little tyrannical and, um micro transaction heavy and this and that um i think they put out some good games but they're also like their rep from a player like a gamer's perspective is not particularly high at least as far as i know um they've had a lot of just weird launches to their games star wars games uh, battlefield games this and that um but that's just ea can i can i say everyone's gonna act like ea no that's not fair but they are all very big corporations with, again, a bunch of shareholders and um, executives and whatever. I do think, uh, as far as I know, on Activision Blizzard, I believe Bobby Kotick is getting ousted. Like, basically let go after a period of, you know, once the merger or integration's complete, he'll be out of the way. But like, okay, he's like a known scumbag, basically. But, um, But he made, you know... I, he made uh, he made Activision a lot of money, a lot of money. So he's a scumbag who's good at making money. Okay, that's not a good thing. Um, it doesn't give him a pass from my eyes, but it clearly basically gave him a pass from a bunch of executives' eyes. People have been complaining about him for years and trying to get rid of him forever, and it's like he's just been kind of bulletproof. And the only reason he's getting let go now is because Microsoft bought him. If they didn't, he, he, I presume he just would keep being you know the ceo so my point is okay the known scumbags out of the way but now we're dealing with the unknown i'm not saying they're all scumbags i'm just saying like clearly i mean they're all businesses they have to make money and i don't begrudge anyone trying to make money um just from a player perspective i 
begrudge them stifling any like creativity or interesting ideas or sequels um, or imposing, you know, yeah, these kind of parameters on the devs under them. We've seen it happen. Some say there's, you know, sometimes they say they're supposed to be more autonomous. Like I think Sony buying Bungie, they're supposed to remain more independent or something. But, you know, Blizzard said the same thing when active when they merged with Activision, but that it wasn't true. Shortly after their merger, this is going back a number of years, all the games started changing. Um, they started firing hundreds of, they, what, 800, 1,000 employees. They basically gutted Heroes of the Storm. They started making weird decisions in Hearthstone, like really greedy, just more money-grabbing decisions. StarCraft has just been ignored kind of forever, honestly, so that didn't change much there. Uh, the quality of WoW just kept going downhill. That may or may not have anything to do with it. But a couple games were obviously, like, very quickly after the after they merged with Activision, changed drastically for the worse. And ex-employees and stuff later came out, yeah, the whole atmosphere changed. You know, it was all just about money pushing from Activision. Because even though they were Activision Blizzard, Activision owned them, I think, technically, like, on paper. Like, they were the, Activision was, was the boss, not Blizzard. Even though they shared, like, their names on the wall, so to speak, Activision-Blizzard. Um, and yeah, they say, yeah, the mood changed, bosses changed, uh, the tone for making games and what they could do. And yeah, that's why teams got gutted and fired and changed and pulled and whatever. So once again, even if, even if, um, you know, companies bought and of course they say, we're going to be independent or, you know, we're owned by them, but we're totally, our creativity will be unhindered and rah, rah, rah. Like I would love to believe it, but I don't know if I've seen a good example of that go on. Um, I guess, Bethesda's been doing fine, though they haven't really put out anything new in a while. Um, well, Fallout 76 was a total dumpster fire, so then, well, maybe not. <laughs> yeah, anyway, I've been rambling a while. What do you think, Sam? Well, I was going to say the Bethesda deal, it just, this is just an example of how slow things move. Fallout 76 was, um, well, at least really bad initially. I, I haven't tried it. Apparently it's a lot better now, but who knows? Yeah. But just an example of how slow things move. Um, hmm. There hasn't been a single... Well, maybe there's been one or two, but there's been basically zero games released for Microsoft since the deal... Um, well, the deal got announced September of 2020, I believe. Hmm. So we've had about a year and a half. Yeah. And it got it got closed like every like fu- like fully on March 2021. But I think in next month, Bethesda's releasing a PS5 exclusive that's not on Xbox at all because of contracts that were signed before the deal. Right, which is an example of how slow (laughs) the deals. Like Bethesda has released games, but they've both been PS5 exclusives. And uh, in uh, Ghostwire Tokyo comes out next month, and then wow, I'm blanking. The one that just came out a couple months ago um, by Arcane, the guys who did did this. Oh, uh, Deathloop. Deathloop, yes. So, and those are both PS5 exclusives. They were on PC as well, but. Not Xbox console. So yeah, that's just yeah. an example. Microsoft bought this company about a year and a half ago. That company is still releasing exclusives for the Microsoft's competitor. Just do right. That is really funny. Stuff. That's a good point. So, yeah, we won't see. It takes so long for stuff to move, but uh, right. Uh, Ted, we haven't heard from you in a while. Do you have any any thoughts <laughs> on all this? I've no. I've just been interested in listening to what you guys have been saying. I yeah. There's a lot of good. I was thinking about you know we we um the um original uh Bungie acquisition of Microsoft way back when and I yeah you know, I hadn't been aware of the fact that Bungie had you know financial issues which John just brought out but 
I will say that it seemed like that was a good thing for Bungie ultimately. Um, I mean, they released, I finally, after years later, got managed to be able to play some of the um, games from uh, the later Halo games. And I was quite impressed with some of the stuff. And I would have been a lot more impressed several years ago if it had made its mm. way to the Mac. But, um, you know, it seems to me that, you know, one of the good parts of the, the acquisitions is if a company has a good deal, or I, I mean, it has a good idea, then if, but they don't maybe have the resources to be able to come up with it, if they can sell it to the new owner, they might be able to acquire the resources for it. So it goes both ways. I mean, it's, there's a lot of, yeah, there has to be profit and there has to be money, but, um, a really larger company might be willing to take a risk on something new. One would hope. <laughs> and, and, and I was just thinking about that in my mind. It's like, will, will they do that or will they go in, you know, the kind of the more negative direction of, well, if it isn't going to make money, you know, we'll just, we're not going to even consider it. Or if we can't justify it ba uh, based on a previous, uh, you know, superstar, then we're not going to do it. I mean, it's, you know, obviously the, the movie industry has done, gone that way pretty much. Um, so, you know, you don't see a whole lot of new ideas. You see a lot of old ideas rehashed or sequels. So, mm. um, so, but, you know, and, and that would, could be a good thing. It could be a bad thing. So, um, I just, I'm just hoping for the best and, you know, hoping that we continue to see games uh, come out and hopefully somebody will actually get interested in supporting Max in the future. Mm -hmm. Hopefully. I think, I think maybe there'll be some hope, but I think as companies expand more, um, they'll view their service as the platform and not their hardware as the platform. Like I think Microsoft, it's, it's already obvious. Like, they don't really care if you own an Xbox. Um, they just want you to subscribe to Game Pass. I know Game Pass isn't on Mac, but um, <laughs> it's they they're they're beyond like our 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 piece of plastic things to sit in your entertainment center. They they just care about your right ten dollars a month or whatever whatever it costs. <laughs> right, I think they have a five, ten, and fifteen dollar tier, so it's like yeah, okay, escalating. Yeah, and then one one of the things I think hopefully will be a positive um, down the road of the subscription model is games are obviously really expensive, like like brand new releases. Here in Canada, they're about 80 or 90 plus tax, so they're about 100 bucks if you want wow. to buy like a day one like brand new AAA title. Right. Obviously a little bit less in the States, but still close to 100. We're still paying probably 80, 75, 80 bucks with tax. 75, 80, yeah. Yeah. So, and because of that, you have all these, especially younger players, like teenagers and, and stuff like that, who don't have big incomes. Um, every time a game goes out, they need to decide: Do I go with the tried and true, like whether it be Call of Duty or or whatever other game they like, or do I take a chance on this other game? And it's like, mm -hmm. well, it's a lot of money. I know I like Call of Duty because I bought it every year, and so this is like a month of income for me. I'm just going to buy the the game I know. Right. Subscription model: You don't have any of that. All you have to do is convince them to press install and wait an hour or two for it to download. Um, right. So it it allows for players to try a lot of games that they would have never tried previously just due to even if money's not an issue, it's like, even if it's 20 bucks, like 
sure all of us twenty dollars we probably blow that on dumb stuff often <laughs> but uh <laughs> yeah a game is like it's a commitment like it much more so than just the price it's yeah you gotta install it, you gotta patch it you gotta maybe convince some friends to play it if it's a uh, more like either multiplayer or like little online experience type game mm. um and if games are 80 bucks plus tax that's hard to do if you got a friend group of five or six people you're trying to convince five people to drop that much money um subscription model you can all just press install you can try it out if you don't like it nothing lost except for some time obviously but um yeah that'll be interesting and then with sort of the subscription is it good or bad the consolidation i don't like but i think the subscription as long as we still have the option to buy games um permanently is is a good option to have because in tv we've seen sort of the golden age of tv they call it in the last i don't know five ten years Hmm. um coming out of that cable tv era they've well companies have dumped a ton of money into tv um hundreds or probably billions of dollars actually and we've got all these massive shows that i don't know we would have seen on like a a safe cable television network i would compare the cable television networks as what we have currently in gaming where it's like well i need to get x copies sold so better stay safe and better plaster whatever ip is our most popular ip on this and um right oh john you mentioned earlier with netflix they like to uh use one big actor i think in games that presents itself as as ips so they'll plaster uh i don't know whatever popular ip whether it be like gears of war or like um we don't want to see with gears of war but i'm trying to think of a good example but you see it sometimes where it's like why is this game like in this universe or like called this but Mm, just to get more sales but uh so yeah that's some hopeful potential positives we'll see i guess um it is nice i've i've been subscribed to game pass for a while um, and it's pretty cool just like browsing without having to feel defensive in terms of like well i don't want to spend money on that like just install it and try it and if you like it awesome and if you don't awesome um it's especially indie more indie titles that i maybe wouldn't necessarily buy there's not really a a barrier i've tried a couple out on on my xbox and they're actually really fun i would i would have never played those if it was not included in the subscription so makes sense yeah i'd like to um comment on some of your things um funny enough uh the x the pc game pass kind of works on a mac because well obviously you can't download the games but they have a browse they have a stream option so the game pass is weird because yes there's a download option microsoft's game pass there's a download option and there's a stream option but not everything is on streaming but everything they have is on download i think um, but you need their max tier, their ultimate gold, blah, blah. Their naming system drives me crazy. Anyway, you need their most expensive tier, but you can try it for a dollar, which I did. I think, I don't know if it's a week or a month, I forget. Uh, and some games will work in a browser. Apparently it works in Safari or Chrome. So I'm like, oh, that's interesting. So I tried it. Um, but then, of course, it's like, well, you don't have a controller. So I launched uh, Back for Blood. I don't own it. Again, this is through the streaming. And um, I'm like, oh, crap, I don't have a controller. Well, forget that. Then I'm like, huh, wait a minute. Maybe there's like some work around here. So I looked it up and haha, there is indeed a uh, Chrome extension, which 
remaps a controller to your mouse and keyboard. So I'm like, ho, ho. So then I logged out as... Anyway, I set that up and um, tried it, and it does work. It's very clunky. It's very awkward. And the currently the, quote-unquote, PC Game Pass on streaming, mind you, not download streaming, uh, streams the Xbox version of the game. So the field of view is terrible. The resolution's not very good. The movement's sluggish and weird. You know, it's not, like, made for PC uh, Microsoft did make a comment where I believe they're going to try to change that for the PC Game Pass eventually. I don't know when. It could take them years. Where it's actually streaming in the PC version and everything. You know, you can just play with your mouse and keyboard. But right now, you can very awkwardly... I don't even know if it'll detect an Xbox controller in the browser, honestly. But you can very awkwardly map with a Chrome extension your mouse and keyboard and, like, fiddle around. Um, anyway, it's, it's, it's awkward, but it does work sort of. Tiny bit. I don't have a controller. Maybe, you know, but even if I did, I wouldn't I wouldn't try it because I don't like playing with a controller unless it's like a racing game. Like I can't play a shooter with a controller or whatever or an action <laughs> RPG. Um so yeah, the subscription stuff's cool. Subscription stuff is cool. The point the main point is options, right? We should have the option to keep being able to buy games if we want. Ideally we have the option to buy it on the platform we want, or the storefront and or platform we want. You know, Steam, Epic, wherever, or good old games if you're DRM, you know, don't like your DRM. Um, you know, um, yeah, and very, even various streaming services. We're still, we're still basically what Ted said. We're kind of in, in the spot now where it's like, well, you could use GeForce Now, but only some things are on GeForce Now. A lot of games, a lot of them aren't because of competitive streamers like Microsoft, like all of Bethesda's stuff was on GeForce Now in beta. But then when they launched, it got pulled because all the Bethesda stuff is now in Microsoft's Game Pass. <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> so, you know, there's there's like the streamer wars going on there. Same thing. I mean, I think the prices are pretty good, honestly. Like, you could just throw five or ten a month at them. Um, and it's not crazy for an adult that's like, you know, like you said, we spend that on random stuff all the time every month. Um if you're, I mean, I think that's why free-to-play games are so popular with kids and teenagers, because you don't need income. You just, well, you need a device. But, you know, most parents buy their kids some kind of device or whatever. So, um, yeah, they can just whip up a free-to-play game. You know, your Fortnites and your Apex Legends, and, and your, your most of them are Battle Royales, it seems. But there's also Minecraft and all kinds of stuff. Um, so it's all pretty good. It's funny you mentioned the try-it-out aspect, because I remember pre-ordering Anthem and getting hyped about it. <clears throat> excuse me, and a friend of mine, also in Canada, this guy named Kyle, uh, he and his girlfriend were like, you know what, we're not going to buy this, we're just going to subscribe to the EA, like, early access play thing, it's not a streaming service, lets you download for, like, $15 for the month, and you get the tr- you get to try the latest games. So they tried it, they played it a bunch, went, that was fun, but we don't want to keep playing, and then they only spent $15 on the game, whereas I spent, you know, $80 on the game. So I'm like, you know what? They were actually pretty smart to do that. <laughs> I mean, I liked the game enough. I would have kept playing it more if, like, the support continued. But, you know, the plug got pulled on it. So I thought that was interesting, the try aspect. I mean, I still use the, um, you know, Steam or Epic refund option. I will try a game. And, I'll, and if I'm concerned, I will put a timer, like, on my phone for an hour or, like, 90 minutes. Uh, or an hour 45 max because you have the two-hour return window. And I will try a game. I did try some indie games lately. I tried um, Rogue Invader really interesting one-bit game it's like grayscale black and white sort of grayscale um so it's super retro roguelike but it's made like with some modern sensibilities the animation's amazing 
like it's actually phenomenal animations in the game like the soul you you know your little soldier it's like a reverse thing instead of aliens invading you you're going to their planet and invading them but there's some like comedic thing where along the way all your weapons and supplies got used up so you have like one dinky pistol so you keep getting dropped with like this tiny pistol and of course you acquire more stuff as you go it's like you know, one of those roguelite run things um i ended up refunding the game because it was too hard for me but i think you know Within reason, you can buy and try games without a subscription service. Of course, you can't just abuse the refund system and, like, daily just buy, refund, buy, refund. Eventually, I think they would, like, ban you. Um, But I've refunded a decent amount of games, but never that often. It's very intermittent, and it's, like, a couple a year at the most. Um, So, you know, and I also, I think, I suspect they also look at, like, okay, how many games does this guy or gal have in their library? Like, how much money have they spent on Steam versus how much they're refunding? I'm That's my speculation. And I've spent quite a lot, so they're probably like, oh, sure, fine, just give this guy his refund. Um, Okay, Sam had a comment, uh, yeah, it works pretty good if you have an Xbox controller. Right, I forgot it also works on iOS. See, I'm, like, so averse to gaming on anything that isn't a computer. I, I, like, blank out. (laughs) <laughs> I just blank it out. Um, yeah, apparently it works on iOS pretty good or something. Oh, or an Android, iOS, Android. Um, the PC Game Pass in the browser. Yes, sorry. Yeah. So, uh, I don't know. Maybe, Ted, you were looking for games to play on your iPad. Maybe you want to <laughs> check out the Xbox PC Game Pass now on iOS. No. It just gets ridiculous when you say that. Um, <laughs> no, oh, sorry. One last positive. I Well, potential positive I wanted to add out there. Um, well, we've seen it happen, be positive in some cases. These studios get bought by a much bigger entity. You know, your uh, your Bungies, your um, whatever, your Blizzards, your Activisions, and so on. Um, or in case of Spire Media, they got bought by Saber Interactive. Um, and they say, well, okay, you know, we were making games before, but now this acquisition by the bigger entity, insert name here, um, is going to give us the resources we want to kind of make whatever game we want. That being, oh, they don't say whatever game, but to like make bigger and better games. Um, and I think just after Aspire got bought, they announced the Knights of the Old Republic remake, if I'm not mistaken. That being said, I believe they were posting game developer jobs before that. So I suspect they were already going to make it anyway, and it so happened they got bought. But in theory, like, I don't know if these guys give them a budget, like, here's so many millions to make this game, and okay, maybe it's a Star Wars IP that's really popular, maybe we'll give you more, I don't know how it works. Um, but as Ted was saying, we did see that with Halo, Bungie, well, now that we know, like, post, not post-mortem, that would mean they died. We know, looking back through history, well, okay, Bungie was in dire straits. Back then, yeah, I was like, why did Bungie sell out? Weren't they, like, mega successful? You know, as a, as a teenager, yeah. I was like, I didn't understand. Um... And I also didn't, like, pay attention to that behind-the-scenes stuff anyway. I was just like, this game's really popular, they're popular, why couldn't they just keep making games as they were? Well, there's, you know, business realities. So, but then, you know, the question is, like, are all studios who are bought struggling? I don't think so. Some of them are, some of them aren't. Could we say Bungie was struggling? No, they're like, I mean, okay, now, as far as we know, they're mega successful with Destiny. As far as we know, uh, the Halo IP was owned by Microsoft, who owns 343 Studios or whatever, however that works. So it not make Halo anymore. Destiny, though, has a ton of Halo DNA, if you've ever played it. It's immediately obvious, like, within moments of playing, like, there's a lot of Halo in here. Well, that's because it's made by Bungie. It's just Destiny. Um, so, yeah, my question, not my question, my thought is, like, 
or did, was like Bethesda struggling before they were bought? I mean, before Bethesda was owned by ZeniMax, I think technically Microsoft bought ZeniMax, who owned Bethesda and a bunch of other people. There's all these weird like umbrella on top of umbrella like acquisition things going on. Um, was Bioware struggling before they were bought by EA? Well, they had two really bad releases in a row. <laughs> um, but could you say they were tanked? I mean, they were still working on games. They were making um, Dragon Age 4. Um, they were making a new Mass Effect game. All that was announced before they were bought, I think. So I guess I don't know. What I'm getting at is I hope these acquisitions give these studios, like, job security, I guess, or maybe bigger budgets, maybe more QA teams, maybe games will go through more testing or have less bugs on release. I don't know. A lot of games now, it's just all over the map. Some games are released really in a nice state. Some are released in a super buggy state and take, like, weeks of patching and then they're good. Basically, there's no consistent variable, and it's kind of like, well, we have to wait and see. But my hope is, like, what could be good for gamers, players, consumers in these consolidations is, well, I hope um, it gives these studios that we know and love for so many years, whatever, whether you're an Activision Blizzard fan or a Bungie fan or a Bethesda fan or a whatever fan, um, hopefully it gives these studios basically job security. Like, even if they have a bad release... They're not like tanked and they close and then and they're employed and they're just they're gone under. Hopefully they can keep going and keep making games because they're, you know, they have, you know, they have a much bigger studio behind them or a company behind them. Um, of course, they still have to. What do you call it? Um, they co- you know, they don't have to pay their own bills, so to speak. They have to perform. You know, they can't just release bad game after bad game. And Microsoft will be like, oh, this is fine. Eventually, if you just release nothing but bad games, I'm sure like they'll get canned or something. And I believe that did happen with EA when they bought some people. I think even, I can't remember the names, but I think even with some good performing studios, they just like divided them up and canned them anyway or something. I forget who it was. Uh, yes. Yes, it is Sam. Uh, oh, no, it isn't. Sam, his camera died. We're on camera on Discord. Anyway, um, it, basically we don't know. That being said, I actually, I weirdly trust Microsoft a lot more than I do like Electronic Arts. Um, because it, that's my impression from, I think it's Phil Spencer, who's like the head of Xbox or gaming and Microsoft or whatever, unless I'm wrong with that name. Um, okay. Interesting. Yeah. Some technical issues. Maybe try disconnecting, reconnecting Sam. Yeah. You're, uh, you've disappeared. Um, I lost my train of thought. Um, yeah, we don't know if it'll help or hinder. But you see, I think it'll help them in some ways, potentially, quote-unquote, hinder them by maybe there's some of these parameters we talked about earlier, some restrictions like, um, yeah, you got to achieve certain margins or maybe yeah, you have to play it safe. But maybe maybe, maybe some companies will be more, um, what do you call it, freeform. Maybe they'll just be like, you know what? You're a, you're a proven studio with a track record. Go make a cool game if you have this cool idea. Like, that could happen too, and maybe they couldn't have made this ambitious big game without a big budget from the person who bought them or something. Like, you know, we don't know all those nitty gritty details, um, so it's hard to say. But you know, it has promise. It also has concerns. Uh, yeah, I wouldn't want to see things get even more consolidated than they already are. I think that's crazy. We mentioned a big three. There's really more of a big four to five. Uh, the Ubisoft yeah. and the Square Enix. Um, I'm a, I'm a pretty big fan of Ubisoft, mostly because, well, A, I like a number of other games, but B, 
they're huge supporters of GeForce now. <laughs> so they don't port their games to Mac. I mean, long ago, we had the first couple of Assassin's Creeds. Um, right, long like, time ago. Yeah, like, oh, 10, 12 years ago or something. Um, yeah. They were great. Um, Ubisoft used to, I think they also own, like, Settler games. We used to have a bunch of them on the Mac. What else? There's various, like, older IPs, which were more in the early days. Uh, we we had a lot of Mac. So these days, they aren't releasing them on Mac, but they are at least, like, very... Apparently, they're super happy with GeForce Now. Uh, they have all their stuff on there, like, day one, or even, I think, in some betas and stuff, which is cool. So not Mac directly, but at least GeForce Now is well-supported on Mac, so, like, that's sort of a, a loophole. Um, that's a nice, yeah, nice feature. Yeah, it's a nice feature. They've got some cool IPs. Um, they've also largely avoided, like, getting in hot water from, like, um, workplace scandals. There was, like, one guy, there was, like, one, um, he wasn't, like, a CEO. He was, like, a project director on Assassin's Creed or something. And apparently he was, you know, a bit of a scumbag and um, he he got let go or something. But otherwise Ubisoft largely stayed out of any, like, scandally hot water stuff. And, I mean, okay, this, you can critique probably a lot about their games if you want. Um, but they also put out, I like, I like some of the stuff they do. I mean, I played through Assassin's Creed Valhalla a month or two ago. I thought it was a really freaking cool game. I don't think, I mean, Assassin's Creed, a brief, aside, brief tangent here into Assassin's Creed. Um, the current games are unrecognizable if you were an early fan. If you played an Assassin's Creed game 10 years ago and played one now, you'd be like, this isn't an Assassin's Creed game. What, what are you, what are you having me play? I can vaguely see like elements of Assassin original Assassin's Creed here, but it's not an Assassin's Creed game anymore. They're you know they turned them from stealth adventure slash action games into uh, open world action RPG games with like some optional stealth elements if you want to mess around with it, um, which isn't necessarily bad. It's just a different game. Anyway, I'm rambling, but I like Ubisoft stuff because they support GFN. That's all. <laughs> and Sam is back. Oh, I am back, yes. One thought I had, just to sort of um, cap off my thoughts on the streaming stuff, is the mm. music industry we've seen be extremely positive for the consumer when they move to streaming. Mm. Um, 10 bucks a month, whatever you cost, and you have you have every song, with, roughly. 99.99% right. of songs you have. Yeah. Um, there's no, like, Apple Music versus Spotify and versus whatever. There's extremely mm. few songs that are exclusive to a specific platform um which is awesome you no longer mm. have to spend hundreds of dollars on like 15 different albums if you want to listen to those 15 different <laughs> albums or bands you just pay 10 bucks a month you stream it all um with video or tv story specifically we've seen kind of the opposite um where I remember when Netflix first came out, I, my Netflix coming on, I mean the streaming side there obviously existed long before streaming, but um, it was considered like the Mecca of, of streaming. Like everything was on Netflix as everybody would always say. And that's because they were the first and they had, nobody really cared. So like, Oh yeah, you can license out whatever show you want for probably a very small fee. You don't really care. We don't consider you a competitor. Fast forward 10, 15 years to today. And like you have Netflix, Amazon Prime, uh, Hulu, Disney Plus, HBO Max. Um, I don't know what the total cost is if you want to subscribe to all like the quote good ones, <laughs> but you're it's pretty high. Mm. Um, kind of back to the cable days of just tons of premium channels. Yeah, um, 
the new Halo series, um, which actually looks pretty cool. It's coming oh, out yeah. on the very well-known streaming platform of Paramount+. Plus. It's like, yes. WTF is that? Like, what? Yeah. Oh, <laughs> here, here we go again. I wonder know? if in, like, 10 years we'll see a more positive TV streaming. Um <laughs> Because like Paramount Plus, it's like as like everyone can tell you that that's not going to succeed. But we got to give them a few years to go bankrupt, and then they'll <laughs> get rolled in with somebody and one of the bigger names. So exactly. we'll see. Um, movies, I would are obviously on streaming services, but the theater is still where movies make all their money, so to speak. So it's actually interesting mm-hmm. with the movie industry when streaming got big, they lost a big part of the revenue because they would make a ton of money off like rentals like dvd rentals and like mm, right like dvd and vhs purchases and, and they kind of lost all that they st- obviously still make some money off of like a netflix deal or something um mm. i'm talking like big movies like i don't know the disney ones or lord of the rings whatever yeah um but they lost that and that's why you see the movie industry being a little more safer similar to the gaming industry um where like well we won't do this cool new ip we'll just do a 12th fast and furious movie or like the millionth marvel movie or, yeah, or whatever exactly or we'll reboot jurassic park for some reason and like um <laughs> right so yeah it remains to be seen how it'll pan out for the gaming industry hopefully positive and long term but we'll yeah. see i guess i feel like music switched to streaming early enough that the the suits couldn't mess it up because they didn't really know what streaming was, but uh, right. and now, yeah. now now they're now they're aware, so they're they now they're their, yeah. Yeah. right their, their yeah. business hands in. My my hope for streaming and, and gaming in general, we've even talked about this last year. Like, what is you know? Never mind the future of Mac gaming. What is the future of kind of like gaming in general as technology progresses? Um, but my hope for streaming is as an advocate of it. Currently, even if I was a like hardcore PC gamer, I would still use streaming services in conjunction with also downloading games because to me it's just very convenient and i'm a well person of convenience i guess um but my hope is it eventually turns more like the music industry where yeah you don't need three four five gaming subscriptions to play what you want you could just have one or at least at the most two uh i guess that would be nice so i really hope it doesn't fracture everywhere um because i'm pretty i'm pretty sure ubisoft also has some kind of streaming thing going on or they do something plus or yeah yeah so this reminds me of like well like this paramount plus or this or you know it's like one studio having a streaming thing just for their games it's like well that's not really enough to get me to subscribe to you i need broader access i need geforce now style I need uh, PC Game Pass style, where it's like a big library from a ton of different developers, a bunch of different genres. Right. Again, I really like Ubisoft stuff, but I would never subscribe to their streaming service. But I give them credit for not like pulling the plug on all their other streaming service. You know, unlike GeForce Now, they offer both. I right. I like that they're more open. Um, okay, I say that you could be like, well, they made uh, exclusivity deals with Epic Game Store. Rah rah, they're not on Steam for a while. Rah rah. Okay, well, that's there, and there's, you know, in my opinion, a weird band of epic haters out there, but everyone can like and hate what they want. I just don't think it's very reasonable necessarily from, like, a gaming accessibility standpoint. One thing about GeForce Now, though, is, you know, with with your comment about Ubisoft, is that you actually have to buy the game. So, I, you know, whether you buy it from right. Ubisoft or if you buy it from Steam or Epic, I don't, I don't know if Epic sells them, but uh, I know uh, Steam does. 
and, and but you know, since you bought the game, they're still happy with that. And and if I would rather see it go that way, if it was going to go into streaming, where you know you could. You could do a little bit of both. You could have a bunch of games with the service that were kind of the fluff. And then if there was a couple big titles from another studio or another major group that you could actually purchase that and then, you know, play it through like, you know, my, the front end. So right. um, that would that would be great. <laughs> so the other studios wouldn't lose out if you bought a title from someone else but you'd still have access to their you know uh catalog yeah absolutely but, but that reminds me of something else we were talking about before or or we consider it as a topic is <laughs> you know one of the things sam said is like oh you could have all the music you want well i have a problem with that i don't even know what music i want when i was a kid and that was a long time ago you know, I had one album and I listened to the album and I still remember every one of those songs. <laughs> and nice. nowadays it's like, you know, no, an album comes and goes and I, you know, could it, it's like there's too much. And or or maybe I'm not going to say there's too much. There's a lot. And it, mm. you know, too much is in, indicates it's a bad thing. It's like there's a lot. And um uh, you know, it was something we were kind of hashing over as a possible topic was, you know, is it going that way? Are we getting so many things? You know, one of those studios, are they going to release 50,000, um, you know, little bitty games that came from nowhere and one or two big titles to try to attract subscribers? You know, that type of a thing. So um, I don't know. And, and, you know, it could go either way. It's nice to be able to try everything. I agree with, you know, what Sam was saying about, well, you know, if it's there, I can download it, try it out. And if I don't like it, it's gone. And uh, it's a real good, you know, it's a nice feature. However, I don't know. I kind of like to play one game for a while. Yeah, it's it's an interesting topic. Um, we're not going it, to, it's worth a, we, we in fact might, have two or three episodes planned around it, but just as a primer, uh, Jeff Vogel and indie long-term indie developer of uh, owner creator of Spiderweb Software. Although I think he uh, also owns it along with his wife and maybe even another friend or family member, something like that. Uh, they've been writing, creating indie games for twenty-five, thirty years now. Um, you know, they have. Uh, I'm, I mostly remember them for the Gene Forge games, but they have a bunch of others. I think are even more popular. These old really retro style. I mean, 25 years ago, they weren't retro, but <laughs> now, you know, they certainly are now, um, you know, always like grand adventures, often like open worlds, lots of choices, cool games. Honestly, I, I like their stuff. Um, but he basically, he wrote a series of tweets and then a blog post, basically positing there's way too many games, um, which is what you were saying. And I've even noticed this in the last few years, not just with gaming, but less so with music. Cause again, I think that's a little broader. Um, and of course, you know, like you said, Sam, gaming is a commitment, usually, unless you're playing a really tiny casual game. Like, you buy a big game, it could be anywhere from 20 to 100 hour commitment. Like, you listen to a song or an album, it's like, it's not a 20 to 100 hour commitment. You could listen to it to 20 or 100 hours if you wanted to, but to go through it once, you don't need that much time. The average song is, I don't know, what, three minutes or something? It could be even less. An album is an hour, hour and a half or something, maybe less, like... You don't need, like, imagine if every album released was, like, a 20-hour commitment to get through. <laughs> it would be insane, right? So, 
you know, then the question becomes, well, yeah, what is... Are there too many games? I absolutely agree. But there also should be options. So where's the balance between too many games and enough options? Well, that could be pretty narrow or super floaty. Um, I think we have too many... Yeah, just in general. But let's talk about entertainment in general. This is not just gaming, because I've felt that... Yeah, but they're also the rise of streaming... It used to be earlier, like, I wanted to just watch this show or just this movie, and I would do it. But now it's like, well, I could watch, like, a thousand different ones. And then then sometimes it's just like, ah, eh, forget it. It's, you know, there's nothing specific I want. So I've tried to avoid that in gaming, uh, computer gaming, by being more specific. Like, well, I want to play this game, or I want to play this genre, or, you know. Um, and I've, I've had more success there because sometimes there's shows, you know, a family, a friend is like, well, hey, have you watched the season X of this show? And I'm like, you know what? I watched season one and two and there's like five more and I'm just, I just kind of petered out. It's a good show, but I'm not really interested. So gaming, I think, has that problem a little less, although there are games that are meant to just be endless. Um, and they want you to play it for a hundred or two hundred or thousands of hours, even like MMOs. I tend to avoid them. Um, it's an interesting topic that very, uh, bears having a lot of discussion around from a player perspective, maybe from a developer perspective. Yeah. What do you guys think? Yeah. Well, I think there's, you can look at that article by Jeff Vogel and there's, there's thousands and thousands of games that get released every month. And I, one good evidence for there being too many games, so to speak, is um, Sony used to release a blog every week with every game coming out on PlayStation. And they would just list them mm. all in bullet form. And okay. they, they stopped doing that about two years ago. So you can guess yeah. why they maybe stopped doing that. But um, I I listened to some PlayStation podcasts or, or one, one PlayStation podcast. And they used to read that blog post every week as part of the podcast. And, and you, you would know or you would at least have heard every game that has come to that platform if you just looked at this blog post once a week. And every you, you would see it slowly creep from maybe one or two games a week or maybe zero games a week way back in the day, like in the nineties or two thousands, you could easily go two, three weeks with a, without a single game releasing on that platform. Yeah. Fast forward to today. And well, when they canceled it, sorry, but two years ago, there was, it was close to like 50, 60, 70 games every week. And, um, wow. They don't do it anymore, mm. obviously, but I would assume the number is much higher than that now. Right. <laughs> and we see that the app store, like I have no idea how many apps are on the app store, but, um, too many. <laughs> Too many. Um, <laughs> Too many. Where I, I think the the platform holder, whether that be Steam or, or Apple with the App Store or Sony with PlayStation or whoever, they have kind of, uh, well, it's, it's one of the major points of the platform is to kind of curate a little bit. But it seems less profitable to curate. So whether that just be they don't want to pay somebody hmm. or um, they're like, well, we make, 10 cents if this one dollar game sells so <laughs> let's just put it on the store even those right. cluttering the store and hiding games that would are be better that would take that spot on the list if that game didn't exist and so yeah i've i think anybody should be allowed to create a game but i wish the platform holders would, would curate a little bit better steam does it a little mm. bit with the green light actually is green light still a thing i don't know but now it's to, gone okay well never mind that <laughs> steam doesn't do it anymore um do they still charge 100 bucks to post your game on steam I think so. I think I that's think so. totally fair. If it was totally free, we would imagine how many games we would see then. Yeah. <laughs> so at least it's a hundred bucks. Sure. Yeah. 
Um, yep. No, uh, there was a brief window where they were curating, like, Greenlight went away, they said anything's allowed, and then everyone put a bunch of, like, adult, you know, porn games and other, like, sort of stuff on there, and then they went like, whoa, 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 and then, like, banned the ball, and then they're like, ah, screw it, and now just, like, yeah, as lo- you know, as long as you aren't, like, you know, School Shoulder Simulator 2022, you can basically put your game on Steam no matter what it is, you know, maybe it has some warnings or the, you know in your preferences. You can exclude adult-rated games in your preferences if you want. Obviously, if your kid's using Steam, you should do that. I believe it's off by default, and you have to... Yeah. I believe the filter's on by default, and you have to turn it off or something. But. Yeah, you can Yeah, you can do a lot of filtering on Steam. You yeah. can actually filter by platform, which I've done, where you filter just the Mac, and you just oh, do yeah. the things that affect you know the Mac platform, which that's kind of yeah. nice. I do that all the time. The uh, I do appreciate Epic Games Store for curating more. They do curate quite a lot, um, but their store is also like light years behind anyone else's. So it's like I wish, but at least they have some curation going on. Yeah, um, well, Steam's gotten around it by they literally have curators, which are they don't pay them; they're just right. community curators. And and they, right. I'm looking at my Steam homepage right now. There is a suggested curators that, that I can follow. That's a really good point. <laughs> right, they just offloaded it onto the Steam users, of which there are many. Yeah. Um, very interesting. I just want to end with this quote on the um, of the uh, Jeff Vogel article. Um, he calls this basically this excess of entertainment, whether it's music, games, movies, whatever it is. He calls it an indigestible, mountainous horde of distractions. <laughs> but I think the key word here is indigestible, meaning you can't possibly consume it all. Exactly. Now, is any one person trying to? No. But go back like 15 20 years you could play reasonably play most of the games on your tr- platform of choice like on a, on an xbox or a playstation or a, or a mac or pc like okay maybe not literally every single one because there was a bunch of like shareware fluff kicking around or you go back further it was like hyper card games or something but i recall buying and playing like as a kid because i worked uh for my father and his family biz so i had some pocket money to buy games I was buying a big game probably four to five a year or something, and then some smaller ones in between. I would save up my money. And every yeah, every now and then I did have to wait to save up or something. Like Sam was saying, maybe you're spending all your money on X game. But uh, I recall hitting, like, buying and playing most of the games I wanted and not being like, oh, there's like 10 more and I just don't have time. Uh, maybe that was true and I just don't remember. But now, now it is true. Like, you got to pick. Unless you just have... Unless you're really rich and don't need to work and literally just sit on your bum and play games all day, well, it still wouldn't be possible to play everything. But no. you probably could get through, like, a majority of the AAA stuff. Assuming it isn't, like, an endless Infinity game, which you just play forever. But <laughs> it would still be difficult. It would require serious commitment in playing probably, like, 16 hours a day and then sleeping and then waking up and doing it again. So, um yeah, it's really interesting. We'd like to dive into it more in more podcasts, but the Jeff Vogel article is worth a read. Um, does he have a name for the article? There are too many video games. That's literally Very the name of the, the blog post. <laughs> uh, yeah. So it's an interesting topic. We'd like to hear more uh, from the player perspective, from ourselves, also from Lily and Casper when they hop on. Um, we would like to bring on, if Jeff Vogel agrees himself, onto the podcast, and maybe we can even snag some other dev you know, who may may or may not have an opposing point of view. Because um, just to wrap this up, because we're running uh, a bit over, but Jeff Vogel's positing not only are there too many games, 
um, we should stop like young new developers from trying to make more games because they're just adding to the problem. And the problem is basically your game just goes into the black void and maybe only five or ten people will play it. So, like, what's the point? Um, there's a lot yeah. to argue about that, but like both positive and negative. But that's that's like the summary of his blog post, um, and it's it's got some really interesting stuff. So read it, or if you don't want to read it, we'll be talking about it on the next couple shows. So, yeah, that that about wraps it up. Any other final comments, gents? Uh, no, I have some, but I'll save them for whenever we discuss that topic in depth. Yeah, I'm trying to like yeah. stop myself from yeah. just launching into it because <laughs> I find it really interesting. Um, it's very yeah. interesting. It's very interesting. Um, okay, so that'll wrap us up for episode 24. Thank you very much, Sam and uh, Ted. And we'll be back uh, soon with more goodness and maybe sort of a series of podcasts on this particular topic. So thanks a lot for listening, and we'll see you next time. Thanks, yep. everyone. Take care. A big thank you to Kevin McLeod for the intro and outro music. Be sure to check out his library on the web. You can find more episodes of our show on our website, macgamecast.com, or in all major podcast directories. If you enjoy the show, please consider commenting, following, or sharing. Thanks again for listening, and see you next time.